Hello, this is Daniel Patrick Brennan. This is the Wine is Food podcast, and I am sitting with Macario Montoya in California after uh, a little bit of a hustle and bustle and wait to try to make this happen. Um, I'm here with Macario. Say hello to the podcast people, Macario. Hello, podcast world. Uh, I'm getting to realize this is kind of the way it is, but you know, I think you were kind of bummed a couple times we had to cancel this and that, and I'm like... Uh, no big deal. I've had to wait months and months for certain things. And I think with the uh, the industry we're in and the fact that uh, you got a growing family now and yep. everything like that, that uh, uh, I think the, the important thing is that you just keep trying and we try to sit down and, and talk about, uh, you know, like what this is, a little behind the scenes look at, at winemaking and, and everybody's, more importantly, the stories behind the, the winemaking. And uh, I really wanted you to be my first California interview because uh, you were very instrumental in my introduction to Napa Sonoma and working with you last year was at Pina Cellars was great and uh, and uh, yeah so I, I thought it would be a nice sort of transition into a California winemaking podcast to speak with you first and so well I'm happy to be here cool um, we're in the uh, Decibel Wine studio here uh, the the uh, West Coast U.S studios lovely lovely view and we're extremely lucky because there was two uh seriously annoying chirping dogs out my window for like most of the afternoon (laughs) and i was so happy they finally uh settled down and now we're taking it easy up here with a bottle of campesino los carneros pinot noir which uh is lovely man tasting good and first pinot made is this, your, is this the 09? This is 08. 08? 08. Wow. Wow. Going old school. Busted out the good stuff for of me. Of course. I appreciate nothing, it. Nothing but, nothing but the best for you. Um, oh, make sure you're up on that, too. I, don't, I think you're good, but I, I don't know. You know, I think this room is pretty, we're pretty, pretty soundproof Basically, in you're here. saying make love to the mic. Yeah, get up in there. You know, I know you're not afraid to mix it up and start sweating. <laughs> um, so the theme of these, uh, so far, the first sort of set of podcasts that I've been doing uh, seems to be, you know, how you got into this. What is your story? And uh, much like yourself, or much like myself, you had a, another career before this, and then it just sort of drew you into it. Uh, not surprising growing up in this area, but, um, you know, where, how did you get into it? You, you know, first you were doing it other work, and... Uh, I, I basically, I, I grew up uh, in the area about 45 minutes from, from Napa, and uh, so I, I was around wine. My parents enjoyed drinking wine. Uh, anytime friends or family would come visit them, it was, uh, you know, let's hop in the car and head over to Napa and do some tasting. And uh, as a young kid, growing up in the early 80s, uh, there was no technology. Uh, the technology was uh, talking with your brother, and that got quite annoying after a while when you'd get dragged on these wine tasting trips. <laughs> so I, I kind of had this negative connotation of, of what wine was. I remember my parents offering it to me as a younger kid and just never really liking it. Uh, and so it wasn't until I went away to college that uh, I kind of discovered wine uh, in a box. And uh, I remember calling home to my dad and saying, oh, dad, I found this great wine. I really <laughs> enjoy it. And he said, oh, mijo, what is it? And uh, I said, oh, it's Franzia. And I just hear this loud groan on the other, <laughs> other end. Um, but I, 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 I can laugh about that now and, and think about that now as uh, really kind of a, a turning point in my life in the sense that 
it really that was my introduction to wine sure and uh whether it was you know crap wine bad wine sweet wine artificial wine uh it was still wine and it really kind of uh got my piqued my interest and then it was not necessarily the kids i went to college with but their parents uh, and trying to explain where i where i grew up i'd say oh i you know i grew up in vacaville and it was this blank look and oh between sacramento and San Francisco, and that turned into, oh, no, near Napa. And I would say, yeah, yeah. And they would, oh, what I wouldn't do to be there. And I just was kind of always like, all right, sure, whatever. Never mm-hmm. really thinking. it. I think everybody kind of, when you live in an area where it's, something's prominent, you never really think about it until you, you're drawn away to it, and then you come back. So I graduated from the University of Notre Dame in, 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 in marketing, finance, and uh, got a job working for Bank of America right out of college in San Francisco. Moved back uh to San Francisco, didn't know very many people, and uh, happened to be in a in a wine or a coffee shop, and saw a little flyer for a wine sensory evaluation class that the local city college was offering, and I thought, you know, hey, you know, this will give me something to to do. I'll maybe learn something about wine. Uh, my most important motive was I thought I'd find a girl or find some girls in the class that I could <laughs> hang out with, and and. Uh, <laughs> So I took the class, and, and little did I know that uh, I would I would just be struck over the head by by a wine wine by wine, and mm-hmm. I really started to pick up on the nuances and differences between wines from different regions, wine from different area. Pinot grown in Santa Barbara was going to be completely different than a Pinot grown in Oregon, and uh, so that was my real kind of first okay, uh, maybe one day I'll get into the wine industry, and it'll be something that I want to do. Uh, it was more of, hey, I'm going to make millions and then buy my own winery. Uh, that clearly didn't didn't happen. <laughs> uh, and right about that time, uh, I started. I met another guy that was in the class, and we started taking day trips up to Napa and Sonoma, down to uh, the Monterey and Carmel area, and really, really again trying to just kind of any time I could get into wine, get into wine. Uh, and then I, I got to the point. I think that a lot of people who are in their in their early twenties, mid twenties, get to where they kind of try and find themselves as opposed to, you know, life has been up until you're 24, 25 in so many, you know, four or five year steps. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you do well in high school to get into a good college. You do well in college to get into a good uh, job. You get that good job. And then it's like you get four or five years into it. And it's like, uh, I don't want to do it. this. This isn't <laughs> it. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I had saved up some money and uh, decided to take a couple months off. I also, around that same time, had uh, started dating a girl who would become my wife down the road, and her family had a a small vineyard uh, and winery down in the Carneros area called Seha. And I started doing some work with them, mainly selling wine to restaurants and wine shops in the city. Uh, And then that sort of morphed into, well, hey, we're opening a tasting room. Why don't you come help us out in the tasting room when you can? Um, So this was just all sort of a natural kind of progression to, you know, Drinking Franzia to learning about the differences uh, in regions to actually working in a winery. Um, and I still was not sort of awestruck by anything and uh, had decided to do a harvest internship at a winery in Sonoma called McCrosty. And that was my true hook. That was the production side was that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Seeing grapes come in uh, and then, you know, a few months later being pressed and put into barrel or, or tank and, and becoming wine. Uh, that was to me really kind of what what stood out, and I said, "This is what I want to do. I don't want to look back." And uh, 
So, you know, long-winded answer to, to, to wine, how I got into it was, you know, boxed wine to production. And when, during that stage, um, you know, uh, were there certain varietals, certain style wine that was like, you know, can you pinpoint anything sort of early on that you said, man, I, I, you know, probably before you got into production, I'm talking about that you said, you know. I think it was Pinot. Yeah. Um, Pinot Noir was really kind of, and I still, you know, vividly remember that was being, that being one of the first classes, um, of this sensory evaluation was, you know, the first hour the professor would lecture about wine and everything that, you know, encompassed wine growing, wine making. And then the last hour was tasting wine. And we would sit there, usually six to seven glasses in front of us. You would talk, you you know, it was each one was a theme or a region or something. And Pinot was one of the first ones that we did. And I just found the just the different flavors and different nuances to uh, to, to each glass just intoxicating. Yeah. And uh, we could just walked away with it just trying to figure out how a grape grown in so many different regions could taste so differently. And, and then, you know, a subsequent class finding out that a grape grown on the same vineyard made by six different people can also taste so different. Um, and so I would definitely say Pinot was really kind of that first, you're uh, still trying to figure out uh, yeah. <laughs> everything about Pinot. Exactly. That's crazy, huh? It, uh, it's definitely a tricky grape. It's definitely a, a difficult grape to grow and, and to make. Um, and then I think my second sort of aha moment when it came to wine before getting into production was uh, a visit with uh, with Griselda, my, my wife, when we were dating for about six months. We took a trip to the south of France and we went to Chateauneuf de Pop and you know the whole Côte de Rhone and and the whole Rhone Rhone region. And I was just enamored and blown away by everything that I tasted there. I couldn't get enough. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, and, and and those those tend to be the two varietals that that for Campesino that I that I focus on. Um, you know, I I think that I'm more of a of a Rhone producer. Uh, you know, doing Syrah now, coming up on some Grenache and Movedra, mm-hmm. and then this this coming harvest, doing my first uh, white. I'll be doing a Roussan Viognier blend. Um, so that's kind of the direction that's kind of, you know, my sort of upbringing was, was that, and then Pinot is, 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 is really like, you know, your first, your first love, your first kiss, you'll never forget it. Um, and so I'll always kind of pay homage to, you know, what it drew me into wine and we'll always make a, make a small, a bit of Pinot. So was 08, you know, we were just talking about drinking your 08. That was the first year you just made Pinot that year? I made Pinot and Syrah. And Syrah that year. I made Pinot and Syrah and, in 2008. Uh, what does Campesino mean? Uh, Campesino means farm worker in Spanish. And uh, it was a name that that was sort of near and dear to both my wife and I. Uh, we both really wanted to have our own label, uh, me working in, in the wine industry and then my wife growing up in, in the wine community and industry and seeing her parents come from Mexico, uh, starting off as day laborers and vineyard workers and then uh, sort of making their, their sort of life by owning some vineyards and then her brothers ultimately spinning that into to a winery. Um, so with, with, with the name Campesino, it, again, it means farm worker. And uh, we wanted to sort of really kind of pay homage to, I think, a forgotten... Uh, aspect of the wine sure. wine industry. Well, uh, I, I think you know. Again, one of the I alluded to 
the experience I had uh, working with you last year, and a, a big part of that, and I'm kind of pulling back the curtain here a little bit, was the uh, experience I had with a lot of the Sejas and uh, just that whole giant family, which is just so rich in culture. And, you know, there's so many different things going on. I think there's about 10 children, 10 children, 10 children. And and then, uh, the oldest you know, the father and mother just, you know, you just see it in their hands and their face and, and, uh, just great people. And I, I really, really enjoyed that part of, of, uh, working harvest last year was, you know, sneaking out to this vineyard and Mm -hmm. that one and working with those people and meeting them all. And you could just tell by the, the guy the you know obviously it's a mexican family so there's a a, a tie in there with some of the, the vineyard workers and everything but you could just tell you know we went and did that pick with those guys on one of the days and i've seen other people that work for them that there's a respect and uh, and a joy that, that they different than i've seen mm-hmm. with working with other vineyards and other vineyard workers right uh here and in new zealand and and there's i think maybe a little extra extra level maybe it's the fact that uh her dad just offers you a beer every time you see him. <laughs> that definitely helps <laughs> i think that helps too uh it takes a lot of beer to make good wine that is, is what they true. say um so uh you're also uh doing another little project right now is that that's uh public knowledge or should we it's still it's still under, under, under the curtain hasn't been fully pulled on that one okay well we'll we'll, we'll that leaves time to speak for an uh, with another uh, that's round two that's yeah we'll, 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 the we'll sequel the sequel that that gives us something to come back to uh, which is cool because we can. Uh, but I, nice I, I am also, you know, uh, the assistant winemaker at Pina Cellars, where yeah. where you interned last year, and and so a completely different uh, production there. Uh, they do uh, some big cabs and a bit of Chardonnay, and uh, yeah. Well, how did you end up at Pina? Uh, I ended up at Pina in a in a strange kind of way. Um, after that internship that I had with Macrossi, uh, they kept me on for a few months after harvest to help them out with some other projects and bottling and whatnot. Um, and that took me into sort of the January time frame. And I had been still on the weekends helping out at Seha because when you 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 get into uh, the production side, especially the beginning of production, uh, when you're as our as our good good dear friend Claire Palmer likes to say <laughs> a seller rat a seller rat yes uh, you don't make very much money no. and uh, so I was still helping out say ha on the weekends at the tasting room and uh, a gentleman and, and his wife came in one one day on the weekend and he was the sales manager at Pina and had indicated hey you know anytime you're you're up and about the valley tasting please stop by I'd love to welcome you love to host you uh, so I'm one who loves to take people up on on those offers um, because you know the more more experiences you get trying different wines and enjoying different wines, I think the better of a wine drinker and a wine maker you can become. And so I the very following weekend had some friends up from San Francisco who were coming up to watch the Super Bowl. And uh, we said, all right, well, hey, you know, the Super Bowl's not starting until 3. Why don't you guys come up a little early? We'll go wine tasting. And uh, so we went by Pina and uh, met a, a young guy that was working there by the name of Jared Pierce. And it just so happened that Jared was uh, leaving the following day for South Africa. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, that's awesome. And, and I was kind of my internship, my time at Macrossi was winding down. And I was really starting to look for a, a place to call home and make something full time. 
So I, the very next day, called uh, Chuck up and said, hey, Chuck, uh, I came by the winery. I loved the wines. I thought it was great. I loved just the, the whole mystique of the place. And uh, I hear that your guys' you know, assistant is leaving, and I'd love to uh, throw my hat in the ring. And he said, well, can you sell wine? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, can you make wine? And I said, yeah. And uh, because Pina at that time was, was pretty tiny in their production, they had a sales manager and a winemaker and then one person that was going to support them. So uh, when you weren't selling wine to customers, you were doing wine work. And when you weren't doing wine work, you were selling wine to customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I interviewed, came in, met with the Pina brothers and uh, the winemaker and Chuck and few hours after that got offered the job and and started there and lo and behold a, a couple months later they they were in rapid expansion mode and uh, brought on a, a whole new winemaker and restructured things in such a way that uh, they were at the size now that the winemaker needed a full-time person uh, mm-hmm. working there for her and uh, so it was really you know a, a lot of luck uh, and, and just being in the right place at the right time and so timing timing it It was all all good timing and And i think uh pina's you know was a great place uh to start out with uh for me last year but also uh, just a good place to go visit uh for people because the one thing i think is really cool about it is they have a large vineyard management side and vineyards that they're kind of working with all over the valley and i'm assuming do they do any over in sonoma they 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 don't manage any vineyards in sonoma but they do do a lot of the replanting yeah so you get to see a wide range of things. You sort of get, I wouldn't say they're a big company, but you get maybe some of the benefits of working for a medium-sized company. Right. Uh, while in the winery, it's a very tiny, focused production. Uh, and then, obviously, you get to make your wines there, which is super cool. Uh, but it, it still has that you know tiny feel. I mean, people come in for tasting and it's literally a, a table that rolls around around the barrel work. Depending on where, you know, depending on where everything is or what, what time of the year, whether it's bottling, harvest. Uh, so it's got to be it's got to be on wheels. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's really cool for people to come in and and uh, get that experience. But then, at the you know, I know from working for a couple of small people that it was really good to have the, you know, the, the PVM lunchroom down the down the road and and just uh, a little bit uh, bigger support I think behind just a small brand which oh definitely is, which is, I mean and, really and the wealth cool. of knowledge that uh, that the, that the vineyard management company had I mean that's that's part of the 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 in, enticement of going over there for lunch is you know there's a lunchroom and there's you know the the owners all the way down to the vineyard foreman yeah. uh, are you know sitting around the, the the table and you just become a sponge and you just listen to everything that's ta- I, being I talked about a, and I did going a lot on of that last year was hey where's this place at? What, what are the you know what kind of sprayer they use exactly. in that place and uh it was a great uh introduction uh to me but getting back to uh campesino uh one of the things i was thinking of today because i actually uh, had a day off today so i drove out to santa rosa and saw moonrise kingdom the new wes anderson film which was really cool but on my way out there i was actually passing uh on a, on a couple roads that i was like oh, i used to drive out this way with macari we went by that like tin shed uh bar that's on the oh bar. yes, yes. <laughs> what's that called again that's like somebody's tin oh, shed right or outside ernie's of tin shed yeah. or something like that outside of petaluma it's a half half tire shop half uh i mean it's a bar like right on a highway dollar it's beers like, yeah it's like you can see the bar stools yep. as you turn the corner in the door 
And uh, I think that's sort of an interesting dynamic always here in, in the Valley and in Sonoma is like on the one hand, you have these, you know, million dollar, billion dollar wineries and, you know, gaudy giant tasting rooms and everything all the way down to like tin sheds serving beers like and, on the side of the road. And ponches. And yeah, that's a perfect example is like Yountville right across the street. You have, uh, you know, high end tasting rooms and little quaint shops and you know, all these rich people that are coming in and staying in their hotels there and bed and breakfast. And then they have, you know, ponches with a taco truck and uh, <laughs> plastic cups of, of beer on draft yep. and cheap shots of tequila and everything. But driving out that way, I was trying to remember, uh, so where the Syrah, where your Syrah comes from, uh-huh. right? Did, wasn't that kind of on the way when we exactly. drove out there? So where you hit that tin shack, I believe you probably made a right uh, to head mm-hmm. over to... Uh, the Santa Rosa area, and if you had made a left, you would have uh, continued on the road and, and hit their Syrah Vineyard. Uh, the Syrah Vineyard uh, comes from, uh, it, it's technically the Sonoma Coast, but uh, as, as those that are in the wine industry know, the Sonoma Coast happens to be one of the largest AVAs uh, in California. It's nuts. And, uh, you know, this particular vineyard is probably a good 65 miles from the true coast. <laughs> um, however, it uh, is probably colder at, at times than the actual coast. Uh, if you think of uh, the California coastline, there are a number of gaps within that uh, mountain range that basically borders, you know, from if you go from the Oregon border all the way down to San Diego. Uh, all of the Pacific Ocean is basically, uh, you know, blocked by a, a range of, of hills and mountains. And uh, within you have within California, you have a series of pockets of openings, uh, the largest being the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, a, a while, uh, about 60 miles north, you have another gap called the Petaluma Gap. And basically that is what uh, these gaps is where that fog, uh, that cooling air basically streams in and then fills out into the valley. Well, what makes the Petaluma Gap uh, extremely, extremely unique and different is that uh, it essentially receives air and, and, and fog and, and the cooling influences from two gaps. Two so gaps. It, it, it receives it from the Golden Gate Bridge as well as the uh, Petaluma Gap. And so at times it, it, you can go out there and it, and it feels like you are out on the, on the coast. Uh, so that's kind of, I think, where the, the reasoning behind, uh, you know, the Sonoma Coast sort of stretching out that far uh, comes from. Uh, but there are definitely different, uh, you know, there's some really hot areas of the Sonoma Coast and there's some very cool, cool, cool areas of the Sonoma Coast. So the, that Syrah Vineyard we just felt was uh, really kind of fit what we were trying to do as far as making a wine. Um, I think vineyard selection, uh, to, to me as a winemaker, uh, is is the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and you can attest to this working with me last year. I definitely take a very minimalist approach, approach to my wines. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of say, you know, and I think a lot of people like to say, but I, 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 I try and actually do it is is my job as a winemaker is not to not to screw up the, the process. Um, if you can find a vineyard that has good fruit, a good, you know, good people taking care of it, a good family behind it, um, you know, you can basically as a winemaker not do much and sort of your job is just to massage it through the process. Now, clearly there are times like last harvest where, you know, you, 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 Mother Nature just gives you bad, bad, bad eggs and bad grapes, and you just need to uh, know what you know what to do to kind of 
continue to massage it through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, knead, knead it out, if you will. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this particular vineyard is owned by the San Giacomo family. Uh, they're a long, long, long time Italian family in, in the sort of the Carnero, Sonoma, uh, Napa region. And uh, this is one of their only, it, it's their only Syrah vineyard. Um, so that's where we, uh, source our fruit from that. It's called the San Giacomo Old Lakeville Road Syrah. And, uh, 2008 was our first vintage from that. And we continue to produce, um, a small amount of Syrah from there. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, I, I'm, I'm in, I think it's an amazing site. I, I just love the, you know, it's got a pretty, it's at a pretty steep angle. Um, yeah, it's got that. sort of the <laughs> Southwestern, you know, exposure, and uh, it it just to me it's it really kind of embodies what uh, what's taking place in sort of the the Rhone Valley. It's a beautiful site out there. I, I uh, like going out there a couple times with you to check on things. Um, some really nice views, but yeah, the one thing that I certainly remember is just it's just massive. Like from I'm like where are we at, and the coast is where and. <laughs> What? You wouldn't be the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've heard, you know, sort of since learned that, uh, you know, there's there's sort of grumblings about this is the real Sonoma Coast and this and that. And, you know, I think probably the most important thing is that, uh, you know, making some good wine from there. So uh, so you said you're going to make a white blend this year. My, my interest is peaked. I'm a I big am. fan of white blends, you know. I am. I, uh, I've had a little history, as you alluded to earlier, about uh, – a budding family. I've got uh, a young daughter who's will be three in December named Isa, and uh, she was born in 2009. And then my wife and I recently had another daughter uh, named Alina who was born in April of, of this year. And uh, I made the, the mistake or the, the, the made an issue of making Isa a wine when she was born in yes. 2009. Uh, we made a, a, a dessert wine called Chupi. Uh, it's a late harvest uh, Chardonnay. And Chupi, you have to explain. Chupi is, is slang for pacifier in Spanish, and it also happens to be her nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, because ever since she was born, even when she was, uh, you know, we went in to do the sonograms, you'd get your pictures, and, and there she was sucking on her thumb. Um, and so from birth till two years old she had a pacifier in her mouth so it was only fitting uh to name you know name it after her call it choopy uh our idea was the the sweetness of the wine kind of uh melded together with the sweetness of of birth Mm -hmm. so when you when you make a a a wine after one kid and you happen to have another kid you need to come up with something it's on dude (laughs) it's it's on and uh, unfortunately we don't uh, alina doesn't have a nickname so we couldn't be creative and try and come oh, up with something. I think that's a good name for a wine. Um, so it's going to be Alina? It, we're going to call it Alina. Yeah, that's and, a good name um, for a wine. Yeah. I, uh, I figured, you know, we don't do a white wine, and so uh, why not jump into the white wine bandwagon? So you're gonna, are you going to make that a pina? I will making that a pina. So how are you going to cool it? What are you going to use for? Um, are you doing barrel ferments? I'm going to do, no, I'm going to do tank ferment. Um, if you remember those little portable tanks, yep. and I'll just... You know, keep it inside the winery where, you know, it stays. This is the cellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I'll just keep it in there and then I will, you know, I'll have to barrel age it for a little while. I won't be able to, to, you know, keep it in stainless steel the whole time. But, uh, yeah. And then, if you know, uh, Rhone Rhone wines are what I love and what I want to do. And so, uh, 
figured you know Paso Robles is a is a is a budding sort of Rhone region, mm-hmm. and uh, through some connections, our, our actually our intern at Pina this year uh, worked in in Paso Robles as well as uh, her roommate was an assistant winemaker at a few places down there. So through them, I was able to make some connections for some Roussan and some Viognier and uh, spent basically Saturday morning, got up at uh, 4.30 in the morning, drove the four hours down to Paso Robles, met with a few uh, growers and and, uh, found our site and then hopped back in the car and came back later that day. So it was a a real quick round trip, but, you know, I, it's something that I'm excited about, and oh, and, that's and cool. that's a great something that, that uh, take. I have not worked with Rousson, but Viognier, uh, I've worked with a, a little bit, decent amount, and uh, I find it a really interesting varietal, particularly in New Zealand, where it's already a very sort of pungent aromatic. And right. With the young soils in New Zealand, it's it's a crazy wine. I think biggest issue being getting people to pronounce it. Volgunde. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, in Virginia, actually, which is the podcast I just posted like a week ago with a uh, Virginia winemaker there, uh, it's become the white wine in Virginia. Oh, really? Uh, along with Cab Franc being the red. And, wow. Uh, it's definitely a little bit distinctive and different from that region as well. Uh, I find it really strong and sort of uh, can be oily and things like that out of New Zealand. Uh, you have to watch... Uh, if you are going to blend it, what you're going to do with it, because it can definitely dominate the blend. But right. I'd, be, I'd be really interested to see, um, you know, how, how this comes, this project comes out for you. Yeah, I'll, it's, I'll be drinking it. It's going to be, you know, it's it's the, both varietals are new to me as well, um, and uh, I've been. That's one of the great things that I've I've found um, that everybody tends to when you do tell them that uh, winemakers collaborate and talk and share ideas. Uh, most people are, are really sort of taken back by that and don't kind of yeah they think it's like really quite understand it or right like that and it's like and, I got uh, secrets over yeah, here yeah exactly something. and uh, very little it, it, that. it's not like that at all um, you know I think that uh, everybody recognizes is recognizes winemaking as kind of an art form and uh, everybody has different experiences with different things there and, is one winery in Hawks Bay that does that and we all think they're the big dicks <laughs> <laughs> the old timers and we're just like oh, fuck that. the old you know? crotchety yeah, the old yeah crotchety guys um and i i you know there's been a couple other instances of them saying things you know that they think is of some tradition that i'm just like oh a bunch of blowhards you know it's like the coke recipe or the uh, yeah, kentucky fried like, chicken uh, recipe they were downing malbec at one point and i was like come on guys like seriously nobody takes you that serious you know it's just wine granted they do sell out of their wine like all the time so and uh, it's expensive but whatever i see where you're going. Uh, there's not a there's not a you know there's i've talked to like barrel sellers and people like that who are just like man they're really secretive over there and it's <laughs> like yeah what's the point but um yeah i'm interested to taste that wine and uh and see how it how it goes yeah it'll be the you. first it'll be the first grapes that uh, we bring into pina this year um probably going to be picking and i think it's a great Roussan. idea to have a name for it right because they won't have to say Rousson Vion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, can be intimidating to people. But, exactly. Uh, you it's, you know, throw that on a label, and it's like, huh? Yeah. But I, that was going to lead me to another point about, you know, these little projects as far as, you know, our production for Campesino is, is, is pretty tiny. Um, I think, you know, for the first 08, 09, 010, we were, we were strictly at about 150 cases. Uh, 2011, we brought in a bit more Pinot. 
uh, and brought in some Grenache and some Ovedra, some newer varietals. So our production jumped, jumped up to about 225 cases. And uh, this year we'll be doing another you know, 75 ca cases of white. So our production will be about 300 cases. And, uh, you know, th that's not enough to make a living off of by any stretch of the imagination. But what it really does allow us to do is to really be experimental. And it allows us to do different varietals. Um, you know, most people come to Napa thinking Cabernet and mm -hmm. Chardonnay. Uh, not very many people come, you know, expecting to find a, a winery that's going to be producing a Roussan and Viognier from Paso Robles. Um, but what's, what's neat about staying small is that you're able to, you're able to find your own niche. You're able to find your own market. Um, totally. and, uh, you can find enough people who, you know, get behind your label or get behind that particular varietal. Um, and I always, I always want that. I always want to, you know, have something small on the side because that really to me is, is my creative outlet. It allows me to, you know, to try things and do things. Um, that uh, I wouldn't necessarily be able to do at uh, at a place like Pina or another winery, for example, because you know they have a they've got you know they're established they've had their you know they've got a loyal brand of customers sure, that are sure, that are yeah. behind them, um, and uh, I will always you know hey they're paying my bills they're paying you know uh, they're keeping the lights on at home and food on the table so I will always say you know this is what you want me to make okay I'll make it but with my own label. I really want to, uh, you know, just be able to, to experiment, try new things, ch you know, um, collaborate with other people on, on different techniques and ways they're doing things. Um, because if I didn't, then I'd probably go insane. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> definitely need the, the outlet, the little... The little experiments and things. Are you gonna think about putting any Viognier in that Syrah, or freezing some skins, or anything like that? Or you know, I, I've I've always been tempted to do that, um, and uh, I just, I just, I, I think that you know, I, I, if if I was having issues with my Syrah, or if I wasn't happy with how it's been coming out, then I, I probably would sure, maybe. Sure. But um, I think that I'm able to with that particular site really coax out. Um, some pretty pretty nice aromatics, and and that that most people would tend to use Viognier for is to sort of give lift a more it up, lift yeah. it up, give it some more floral characteristics. Yeah, no, I mean, I the ones that I've had from New Zealand, I haven't liked actually, or at least maybe they've gone overboard. It may have to do with the fact that I what I was saying before that the Viognier is so bright and and aromatic uh, even more so uh from the you know the soils in new zealand that when they do try to blend it or co-ferment uh it becomes a little more prominent than i i prefer right you know some people are having some success with it on the market but it's not something i prefer particularly because i just love the syrah style anyway out of the gibble gravels mm -hmm. and parts of hawks bay so that uh you know i'm it may not be as much of an issue in California, but the guy I'm working for this year is doing some Grenache Blanc, and he's fro he froze the skins to uh, add into it's for his own label mm. to add in, uh, which I'm interested in because I think from what I can tell already just from the juice, it's a little more of a subtle white than Viognier. Right. Uh, but I do like the ideas of what it can do for a Syrah with color stabilization hmm. and lifted nose. Right. And, that, yeah, that's, uh, that, and that's the first I've heard of anybody using Grenache Blanc. Yeah, I think there's somebody in... Uh, anyway, the ones that I've had in France, or, fr or French wines that I've had in, I, I haven't noticed it or had don't know, and they're right. probably just doing it without me knowing it. 
So it's probably just has a long tradition of this vineyard we always use and add in a little bit of that into mm-hmm. the Syrah or something like that. Uh, but it's certainly, you know, on the sort of technical experimental side of winemaking, something that is interesting. And, you know, once again, it goes back to a little bit of an art to it and saying, oh, that's that's kind of a cool thing they're doing. Uh, yeah. And, and I think you also you, you have to as a winemaker. You have to be open. Yeah. Um, to to you know new ideas and new things you know i had always for you know three years with my pinot was very straightforward with it and then working with you last year and some of the experiences you had with uh you know tossing stems back into doing some stem inclusion and uh you know i i wasn't up until last year wasn't willing or able to do that or wanted to do that and um you suggested it and and i think it is it's a sort of you know, comfortability and able to take some more chances, confidence. Uh, I, I know, you know, for the most part, I'm still a nervous wreck with my wines, but I'm starting to feel a little more. And this is probably exactly what you were going through last year. Is you're like, oh, let's try this a little. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to be fine. You know, <laughs> it's going to be all right. You know, you get a little more of that. In you. Well, and that's the thing is you say you want to you say you want to experiment. You want to try new things. But at, in, in the end, it's, you know, this is my wife and, and mine. This is our savings. Yeah. You know, we put our money into this. We have no you know, we don't have anybody helping us out. And, and so or, and even if we did have people helping us out, it's still, you know, it's their money. It's that's even more stake. pressure. It's even more pressure. Um, and uh, yeah which yeah it is definitely more pressure because you know you have to answer to them and if if you know we we screw up on something we're gonna have some bad wine to drink (laughs) we don't have you know we can just look at each other and say well all right yeah but uh so you know it's it's a it's a it's a double-edged sword because on one end you want to be able to push the limit you want to be able to try new things and experiment and see new things but at the same time it's you know the, the experiments can go horribly wrong yeah. And, uh, you know, when you're only producing 100 cases of a wine and and half of it you, you know, experiment with and try something new on. Uh, and luckily it, it turned out the right way. But if it turns out the wrong way, um, you know, that's that's 50 more. That's 50 cases that you're not going to be able to sell or you're going to have to try and do something different with. Mm. Um, and so it's 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 a balancing act. And uh, but, you know, I think it's it's one of those things that. uh if you work with people who or get to know people who are familiar with it and they can kind of, you know, it wasn't as if, you know, you just threw out the idea. We're on the sorting table and you're like, oh, let's just try this. Yeah. I've never heard of it. And <laughs> let's see what it does. You know, I, I, I respected your wines, your palate, who you were and, and what you've what you've worked with in the past um, to sort of understand that. And, and uh, you know, this year. Uh, so with that being said, you know, this year I'm going to take even, a, you know, a little bit more of a step further. And I think you'll have a better year for it, too. Yeah, was a little, that was definitely. The other thing. It was a, a little um, bit riskier last year uh, with uh, it being a, you know, cooler year for Napa, though, you know, Pino, I'm, uh, I think we were pretty happy with the fruit coming. Yeah. But it was it was uh, certainly a, a little bit riskier last year where I'm feeling like this year is like, we're just going to pick it when 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 it's ready. When it's ready, as opposed um, to uh, you know some of the uh, there was a lot of mercy picks. Yeah, uh, where it was uh, the grower calling you up and saying, uh, "I know you were scheduled to pick Latin on Friday, but uh, I'm out here with so and so, and the skins are falling off, so you might want to pick now." <laughs> and uh, or you know it's full of mold and rot. You need to, you need to, you need to, you need to do something. And mm-hmm. this year, it's definitely, uh, I think, shaping up to be a, a great year, a great vintage. 
Um, you know, the, the weather wise, it's, it's been a little bit warmer, not, not very much, you know, I think we're still trending maybe a week or so, uh, before, you know, earlier than last year. But what I've, I've really been able to see in, in, in the vineyards that I've walked is, you know, the flavors are definitely very, very pronounced and very, very there. Um, and the alcohols are going to be a bit lower, which is going to be nice. Oh, really? Uh, oh, well, I guess, yeah, because you're not waiting for flavors to right. catch up to sugar like we were. That was a big thing for me last year was sort of adjusting to that and saying, well, this is tasting the <laughs> the the wines and or tasting the fruit in the vineyard and going to sample and saying, this is a 26, 27 bricks. And we're like, we're, we're not, not going to pick it yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. <laughs> and uh, that was a new understanding. Yeah, for California me. is definitely. And on know. the flip side, you know, I've had friends from California come down to do harvest in hawks bay and they go you guys are picking cabernet at 23 like what are you crazy and then we make the wine and they taste it and they go oh yeah it's pretty good you know so uh it's definitely a terroir thing and something that's changed or, or something that's different um but sort of getting back to what you said overall with these taking chances and slowly uh developing your brand and things i think uh, those ideas go back to the you know um a sort of train of thought that you're in it for the long haul and and uh it's every year you learn a little something different and then you move on to the next year and the next year and when you have a commitment uh to say hey we're gonna you know i'm gonna do this forever you know and that you have a real love for it uh that's you just that's you can kind of roll with the punches a lot easier when right. when you say i didn't just go out and try this and i'm doing this career and i'm not sure what i'm gonna do when you have you know the idea that you're gonna be doing it I it sounds like you had that sort of epiphany that I had at, at some point in my career where you're just it's almost like a weight off your shoulders you're like oh yeah. well I'm gonna do this forever yeah no it's definitely <laughs> I remember you know talking with somebody the other day not maybe last year about uh you know you know we don't want to talk about you know we are getting not, not that you know 35 36 37 is, is old but um you know we're not we're not 24 we're not 25 anymore and you know, uh, as you get older, responsibilities start coming forward and, and things start happening. And, um, you know, so the, the, the topic or the idea of, of retirement sort of started to coming up. And uh, I just kind of sat there and I was like, well, you know, I don't think I ever really want to yeah, retire. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, I, I'm in a profession. I'm in a thing. I'm in a in a in a in a, a thing that that just. I want to continue to do, you know, forever. And uh, sure, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to be 75 and breaking out tanks and, yeah. you know, doing pump overs and walking the vineyards and, and doing all those sort of things. But um, I definitely still want to continue to make wine and continue to do things. And and I think that, again, draws back to, you know, just the the the, the, the winemaking community. And, and being a winemaker is, is something that is not for everybody. Um, you know, everybody kind of has this romanticized idea of what winemaking is and, oh yeah, you must have, it's like, no, it's not, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm basically for, you know, starting probably next week, uh, when we start bringing in fruit, 
uh, I'm going to know, you know, my, my seller worker, my, my harvest intern a lot better than I know, you know, my wife and my kids and my family, yeah. because for the next, you know, three to four months, it's, it's, you, you know, got a harvest it, widow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, no, and then, and, and I, I think I, I saw that for my dad in the sense that, you know, here was, here was an artist and, and still is an artist and, you know, he's, he's well into his mid seventies and he's still working at, at UC Davis and, and, uh, just, you know, he, he loves what he does and, uh, you know, he, sure. He doesn't have three classes like he did when he was in his fifties or sixties. Now he's got one class, but, uh, it's just still that love and that, you know, that passion that you find for something. And, um, I'm very fortunate, you know, that I found mine at a, at least a somewhat younger age. Uh, but I, I still even think that I got into it too late. You yeah. know, I look at, uh, I look at you, I look at Sierra this year. I look at my past interns. I look at Richard. I look at uh, Rachel, who both came from New Zealand. And uh, there's a hint of, of jealousy. There's a hint of, of longing to be them because it's, you know, hey, I, I, you're doing one year you're doing a, a harvest in, you know, Australia. The next year you're doing harvest in South America. Then you get to come up and do a harvest in Italy or up mm-hmm. in, in California. And uh, so it's all those experiences that are definitely. And again, I think that's what you know, going back to tying it back to the experiment, the experimental phase, you know, that was why I had faith in you and what you were saying was because you've, you've, you've been different places. You've seen different things. You, you know, you, you have those experiences that, I, that I don't, I've been making cab and there's not very much experiment that yeah. you can really do in cab. Well, Napa cab. Napa cab. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. Um, well, you know, I mean, part of it is too, you know, I went, when I went to school, uh, back for for wine and bit, um, you know there were some kids right out of high school that were, uh, and out of the twelve or so that that had started off with uh, that degree, I think two or three finished, and part of it was they you know you weeding out and it's a normal sort of school thing and whether I want to do this or not, but. But also, you know, I just remember looking at some of these guys and being like, you have no life experience to draw on whether you know you'd want to do this or not. And, and, you know, I talked to Chris uh, on the podcast, uh, you know, he's my first episode because I think he's a a special case of somebody who started working in the vineyard when he was 15. By the time he was 18, he knew this is what he wanted. And he has a, he just came through Napa last week and has a really kind of interesting outlook on what he's seeing here, very positive, and he's excited to be working in, in the U.S. and seeing, a, you know, the New Zealand wine industry, I think, is going through some flux right now, and, and he was sort of happy to see, oh, this is a very positive attitude here, and, and he's, he's interested in it. Um, but he's the real exception to most people that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to come at it, and just like I did, I came at it when I was 30, 31 or whatever uh, with some life experience and some – and. <laughs> Just as importantly, some wine drinking experience, you know, <laughs> I think that's a big part of it. And whether right. it started in Franzia, you know, mine started with, you know, drinking, you know, old Italian table wine or something. It's, I thought you were going to drop you know, a Boone's Farm on No, me. I'm sure there was some of that in there too, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Mad Dog or something, I think that's wine-based. So, uh, But there is some, some uh, wine drinking experience in there, some life experience to, uh, it's, it's a very much, I think, the exception to... If anything, I've seen kids who, you know, they went to Davis or some other school when they were sort of 18, 19, 20, or maybe they went and did their grad degree there, went and did a few harvests, and now they're doing something else completely different mm-hmm. because uh, it just wasn't for them. 
Uh, whereas I think uh, you can come at it. Uh, there's there's many paths to getting right. here, and and I think that's what we're we're talking about here in this this podcast. And maybe that's a good place to wrap it up. It you is. Know? Uh, see how quick forty seven minutes can go. It you know? goes pretty fast, especially um, when you have some nice wine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> toot your horn there we might as well keep that trend going up because uh, i did want to mention um if you want to check out uh macario and griselda's uh websites campesinocellars.com uh and they are on facebook too which i will link up uh on the website for the podcast which simply facebook.com slash campesino sellers uh if you look me up on facebook you'll see i am i am a liker liker. of I, i like it um but yeah, I think they're you know the website's pretty cool. Has some uh, gives you a really good idea. The one thing I like about your website is it has a, a sort of feel for the brand as opposed to just you know set information. Something I need to work on a little more. Uh, I think I'm still finding my way with it, but uh, right now it's uh, it's decibel is sort of <laughs> you know shouting out from the other side of the world. It's sort of interesting. Uh, being down there so as always yes decibel wines a big uh yes, yes the uh the official sponsor of the, the wine sponsor. is food podcast. the official wine yes <laughs> um but yeah man thanks for coming and uh doing this and i hope uh, we can talk again next year or maybe in a few months or, yeah. or whatever I, I really want this to eventually become something that i can post every week i tried to log up a few episodes while i was traveling around in july um but I think the most important thing is uh, to get these is to be patient with trying to meet up with winemakers, especially coming into this time of year. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, and love to do, you know, even a end of end of harvest recap and yeah. just kind of, you know, touched on some of the wines that we'll be making this coming year and um, touch on, you know, the white, uh, the Alina that we'll be making. And Let's do it. I'm sure um, I'll have a few stories from yeah. uh, this <laughs> production facility that yeah, we always it's, that's yeah. the great thing is we always have stories and different things that will uh i i you know i hope i, I think us. this is going to develop into um not only okay how'd you get into the wine industry what your story is which has definitely been the trend for these first i think we'll end up being 2025 20, episodes uh into what's going on right now what just happened tell some funny stories you know there's going to be new people all the time that I'm going to want to tell their story a little bit, but I'm hoping for returning people like yourself and Chris and Jenny and people like that, that I know I'm going to be working with and talking to over the years to come that, that we get to talk about some other things as well. So we could, I mean, we could do a whole episode on Claire. We, <laughs> we certainly could. There's definitely a character there that, uh, if you're, ever, if you're ever up in Napa, come by, uh, Pina Cellars and, and, uh, on a Saturday, Sunday or Monday and, You'll understand uh, the ma- the man, the myth, the legend that is Claire. Yeah, I've definitely had some people who visited, and they were like, "What's up with that dude? He's crazy." <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's certainly a character, and uh, yeah. So, uh, if anybody has any questions, obviously you can always email me wineisfood at gmail dot com, and I can pass on stuff to Macario, and we can uh, try to. Uh, catch up maybe next time or uh, with some of those questions and we'll go on from the there. flip side on the flip side as they say yes yeah, sorry i don't have all my american <laughs> lingo down anymore don't forget you are american i know i, I know i feel it when i come home uh speaking of which we're gonna go watch a, gi- a bit of the giants game and uh go fills and oh. uh <laughs> and uh macario thanks man cheers cheers salute uh, salute